Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. We are brought to you by Aurelio's Pizza. It's the sauce. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out here with me today. Today's one of those episodes where I feel like the podcast is built for. Because I actually enjoy talking hockey more than people would expect or think. But I also know that there's stuff that we can and can't do a lot of without losing listenership. Before you get all upset, just understand that as popular as the Blackhawks have been overall, they still don't truly come close from what we see on sports radio. This might be different from your favorite podcast or your favorite Hawks theme podcast. It's not true of the television ratings anymore, obviously, with the team being shitty. They just have never moved the needle for sports radio, specifically score listeners. As strange as it sounds, as, as, as successful as the Hawks were in Camelot, in Hawks Camelot, over the last decade, it never caught on. When we tried, like I remember Joe and I trying experiments on the nighttime show where we'd be like, okay, what if we did like a Hawks roundtable? And we did some of those. And the Hawks roundtables that we had, like we would have Mitch, then like we'd pinpoint the date, we promote the bejesus out of it. And those, those specialty shows would do well. Like, we would do a roundtable. So we'll bring in Jay Zawoski, James Naveau, our guest here, for example, and have them sit with us for an hour and talk about the Blackhawks. And it would do well. But if we had a segment, let's say that I'm doing a bear segment. Let's, let's say it's December, okay? And I'm doing a bear segment. And then I tease with, hey, we'll get back to the Bears in a little bit. Next up, we're going to talk Blackhawks. We're going to talk about this four-game win streak that the Blackhawks are on. Okay? We check back, and we will have actually lost listeners from us talking Bears to us talking about the Blackhawks. A lot of people feel like every team deserves equal coverage. And that's not quite true, at least in the minds of program directors. The great thing about where 
all of this stands right now is if you really want Hawks coverage, there's a lot of good Hawks coverage in town. And you can find it. And, and honestly, even from a listening standpoint, you can find like specific Hawks stuff. You can listen to Jay Zawoski now on CHGO. And I love that he's just kind of doing hockey stuff now. He doesn't worry about anything else. He's not trying to produce shows and none of that stuff. He's just doing hockey. Charlie Romeliotis and, and Pat Boyle are doing the Hawks Talk podcast. There's great content there. You can find it, but it's still very niche. Niche? I say niche. And I know that that frustrates a lot of hockey fans and Blackhawks fans. I still truly believe that Blackhawks fans aren't actually hockey fans. They're Blackhawks fans, which is okay. I just don't think when you look at the ratings for the Stanley Cup final, and I do every single year, you're not going to find Chicago as a top 10 market watching it unless Chicago is in it. Now, if Chicago's in it, then, yeah, we show up and show out, and we put up great numbers. It's why, for years, the Blackhawks were on NBC. I think they, they would max out. I think the rule was like 20 times that you could end up on NBC or NBC uh, Sports Network, and the Blackhawks were always there. I say all of that to say that I really do enjoy talking hockey, and I think that these are dark <laughs> but interesting times for the Blackhawks as a franchise, which is why on Friday on the radio show we had James Naveau on because obviously like the, the trading of Debrinket and Doc, that's huge news. It, it, the announcement that the, White, that the White Sox, that the Blackhawks were rebuilding it couldn't have been more loud and more clear that that's what they were doing. So this is kind of the interesting part. You've got two guys in Kane and Taves that won a lot of hockey games, that won a lot of cups, that I'm sure are looking around and being like, nah, this is not, this is not what I want the last year of this to be. So is, is that the end end? Like, you know, you really close the book on all of it as the Blackhawks try to get younger and faster. That's what Kyle Davidson has been talking about. And now there's a new coach. So, Navo was on the show Friday, and I, I just felt like terrestrial radio, while good, like, I'm glad that we did the segment, I felt like there was more meat on the bone, and it was one of those things where we didn't, we just didn't have enough time for my liking. So I hit up Naveau, and I said, you got a few minutes. I just want to kind of go back over everything with you and, and talk about this stuff and allow him to be granular if he wants and like I'm, I this is where I think. This is where I think Blackhawks hockey and hockey fans can see, and maybe I'll do more hockey. I don't know. We'll see. I'm exploring. I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm exploring a lot of ideas for what the podcast is and kind of what it grows into. I don't think that it'll be straight interview stuff as much anymore. 
and I'm I'm working through that. But that's where I think there can be a lot of growth for hockey. And I'll ask Navo about that too, because being back on ESPN really did help the NHL from a rating standpoint. So now you've got at least some of the answer to is it the chicken or the egg? Does is hockey not well rated because it was hard to find, quote unquote. I never found it hard to find. But considering that ESPN is the worldwide leader in sports, like it being on ESPN and maybe more accessible to people, did was this a truer showing of what the power of hockey is? So that's something that we'll get into. Navo for a long time, was partnered up with my guy, Jay Zawoski. Actually, they're both my guys. I, I need I, like Navo's actually my guy, too. So I need to stop acting like he's not my guy. But those two guys were matched up on the Madhouse podcast, and they did great things. And unfortunately, and if you go back a few months ago, I interviewed Jay Zawoski, and he went into great detail about why they're not together right now. And I really recommend that if you tuned into this episode because you wanted hockey stuff, you should go back and listen to the Jay Zawoski episode. It'll explain a lot, and it gives a, a Jay a chance to promote the stuff that he's doing over at CHGO. So I wanted to talk with Navo about all of this stuff, the NHL overall, the, the way the Stanley Cup final played out, the effect that that will end up having on the Blackhawks as they rebuild the new coach. Like, I went back and, and listened to the interview, and we didn't spend enough time talking about Luke Richardson and Kyle Davidson, quite honestly. So now I want to do that. By the way, this is apropos of nothing. I kind of liked Derek King. I, I I guess maybe they thought that he wasn't the, the guy to shepherd this, but I thought for... A guy sitting in in the interim, he did a really nice job. So without further ado, here's my man. You can check him out at NBC. He does a great job over there. He occasionally pops up on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. He's a good man and thorough. Bourbonnet's own. Oh, wait, or is he a Bradley guy? No, he's a Bourbonnet guy. James Naveau here on the House of L podcast. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, dude. So here's here's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. After we finished the segment on the radio, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to ask James, and I didn't have time. And I was saying in the intro of the episode that that's one of the beautiful things about having a pod, is that on the pod, there are some more things, and I it'll, it would allow you to, if you want to get granular on something, to get granular. I know that you're conscious of, the amount of time that we have for a particular segment or whatever. But there was so much stuff that I wanted to get into with you. And I'm thank you, first of all, for doing this, because I, I really wanted to ask you a couple questions. I want to get bigger and then get smaller, if that's okay. Absolutely, dude. Anything you want. For years, we've talked about it in person and on the air. Jay and I have talked about it. Other friends of mine, when I was working at 120 Sports, we talked about it. The chicken or the egg with the NHL. Whether <laughs> whether they have a good product that just needed to be in the right place or if the ratings that they had on NBC were reflective of what the public thought about hockey. 
this experiment with ESPN was a success. Like there are a lot of the numbers were great for the NHL this year. What do you think that means? Well, I think it means that a, you have a compelling product. And I think that we saw that throughout the postseason, right? I mean, I watched a lot of NBA playoff games. I watched a lot of NHL playoff games. I'm never a guy who's like hockey's the greatest sport of all time. And all these other sports stink. The NFL postseason this year was absolutely ridiculous right I think that just from a pure drama standpoint you watch the NFL it was awesome I felt the same way through so many hockey playoff games this year I thought that the postseason was one of the most compelling in years I think that it really it helps the ratings to have that kind of compelling narrative the lightning going for three straight Stanley Cups the avalanche having an incredibly talented team Connor McDavid getting to the conference final all of that stuff helped but man did it also help having that driving force with the ESPN behind it too that the ability to have all of the regular season games on ESPN plus and then to have all of those games be so easy to find whether it was on ESPN ESPN2 Fans are used to doing that for a wide variety of reasons, college football, pro football, basketball, anything like that. And having ESPN make that product available to more fans, it really helped. But so did the games themselves just being so compelling this season. It was absolutely fantastic. So I think if I had to pick one or the other, I'd probably end up siding with the argument that hockey has always been a compelling game. But that ease of access this year really help to drive those numbers I think do you think if the games were mostly three to two games in the first two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs if there were one nothing shutouts versus these crazy eight to six games and six to three games that are going on and you know six goal deficits being chopped down inside of games do you think we see as many people like marking out for the NHL if it, if it looked a little bit more normal than what it looked like this year? Perhaps I'm abnormal. I, I think that might be the understatement of the century, maybe <laughs> one of the biggest understatements ever made on this podcast. But especially like the series with Tampa and New York, I thought that some of the goaltending and defense in that series made for really compelling television, right? Like I'm not the kind of guy who's going to turn off a pitcher's duel in baseball because it's a one nothing and 2-1 game. I left those games on this season with the NHL, even if they were like that. And I, I like to think that sports fans and hockey fans just enjoy a compelling, dramatic product, no matter what the scoreboard says. However, I'm going to caveat that by saying that I think it probably helped lure in some casual fans having the 8-7, to seven, 80s hockey is back kind of vibe going on. So as much as I hope that it's true that the 2-1 games will continue to draw the interest if they're really compelling, I, I can't, I'd be lying if I said that I thought that the chaoticness didn't help. I think that it really did. You know what made me laugh is listening to Joe Ostrowski on BetQL throughout the playoffs because, you know, Joe, Joe has gone on record being like he's not a fan of hockey. Yeah. And he was talking hockey every morning. And it, every <laughs> time I tuned in, I laughed so hard because Joe, uh, I nicknamed him Joe Pucks because <laughs> he was out here like, you've got to bet this Calgary Edmonton series and let's let's talk about the overs that we've seen and you got to keep playing the overs until they, they make the line correction. So like the NFL, like betting plays such a role in the popularity 
of the NFL. It's not the only reason that the league is popular, but it's one of the factors that goes into it. With sports betting being more omnipresent, how do you think that'll shape interest and viewership in hockey going forward? If I had to answer this question based on what's been in my own Twitter feed recently, I would have to say that it's going to do nothing but help because I saw a lot of people, Joe Ostrowski included, by the way, really getting into NHL betting this season. And I have to be honest, like I'm not very good at it. So seeing Joe get some of those wins, I was like, all right, maybe I need to listen to guys like him. But I think that a lot of these uh, betting apps that have all of these like great deals has been nothing but good for the NHL. And I definitely saw a huge upswing in interest in the league from that perspective. And that kind of blew my mind a little bit. I figured that we would probably in, be in for more. Ah, it's just the hardcore fans that are going to be talking about, you know, X's and O's and the game scores and all that. But I really did notice a massive difference in some of the hot the folks that I follow on Twitter who weren't necessarily into hockey they really did get into the gambling aspect of it and frankly any avenue into the sport is good enough for me and I'm hoping that everybody including Joe Ostrowski continues to watch the games even if they don't have you know a couple of G's riding on it I suppose the other thing that was wild for me and I know that this is partially because I know her, and I worked with her at one point, and everyone kind of knew that, you know, she was on a rocket, like, career-wise. But I also think this year created, I won't, I won't say the first, but the latest media star in hockey, and that's Emily Kaplan of ESPN. She was everywhere. And, and you know, she covered football for a really long time, which sounds stupid because I think she's still only, like, 27 or 28 years old. Right. Um, but, but – Seeing her embrace it, because I think that she's a tremendous writer, she's really smart, and seeing her choose hockey like as an avenue to further her career was super interesting to me, and she's leaned into it. You have more of a depth of knowledge of this in, in like the hockey world and the hockey media world. Can you remember someone who has done something similarly like I think about the the hockey night Punjabi guys a little bit like how they kind of jumped onto the scene but as far as day in day out like reporting on hockey I I don't know if if there is something like what Emily did this these past couple of seasons well, what's kind of wild to me was that you kind of had your established uh, brands, right? You had your Bob McKenzie's, your Pierre Lebrun's, your Scott Burnside's. A lot of these insiders have been around the game for a long time, and they just kind of never got challenged. It was always kind of that group. It absolutely blew my mind to see how rapidly Emily Kaplan became one of those hockey reporters that you have to set the Twitter alerts for your phone, and you have to know every single time that she tweets. I have to give her so much credit for not only her in arena announcing duties when she would interview coaches on the bench or players between periods. I thought she was fantastic from a television perspective, but just as an indispensable, you know, fount of hockey knowledge and having all those inside reports, it was kind of amazing watching her just like basically instantly become a dual threat and become one of the biggest stars that ESPN had to offer. And I do have to give ESPN a huge amount of credit for the digital aspect of everything that they're, they've been doing. I obviously am a digital journalist. I work primarily in that medium. I do all sorts of things for NBC Chicago. And so I see 
the the shows that they do, the content that they produce, both Emily Kaplan and Greg Wachinski are absolutely fantastic at that. And I think that it really, they did a fantastic job as a company of really catering to a specific demographic of hockey fans that are primarily fans that are online all the time. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook. And Emily not only caters to those fans and does that great work in the arena, but then to have that inside knowledge and to break all those stories, it's amazing the number of things she was able to help that broadcast do. And I have to give ESPN and Emily just so much credit for the way that they've catered to that section of hockey fandom. So is there something there that the NHL writ large can do to capture some of that? Or is that just ESPN specific? Well, I mean, it just shows that there's an appetite for, you know, deeper stories. There's an appetite for breaking news at the NHL level. I think ESPN already kind of knew that from the successes of Adrian Wojnarowski, of Adam Schefter. Like, I think that that quite obviously was something that the NHL needed on ESPN, and they definitely got it with Emily Kaplan, to a great degree. I, I think that they're also, they're learning very quickly that there's an appetite for those types of shows, the the shows that ESPN does that are exclusive to ESPN plus, or even occasionally when they air before the, you know, studio talking head shows. I think that having that kind of attitude towards hockey and trying to cater to both the hardcore fans and the casual fans in different ways. I really don't think you have to be scared of appealing to those hardcore fans and worry about turning off the casual fans. And I'm really hoping that ESPN and the league itself kind of learn that lesson that you can have your cake and eat it too when you're talking about catering to those fans. Well, since you talk brought up eating, it's a good time to let me let people know that if they want to go eat and they want to have their pie and eat it too, they can do it at Aurelio's Pizza. Aurelio'sPizza.com, it's the sauce. It's great pizza. I really want one now. Now, every time I do a pod and I talk about Aurelio's, I end up wanting one out of the old oven in Homewood, so you can have your pie and eat it too if you go to Aurelio's Pizza. When I come back with James, we are going to do a deep dive into the Blackhawks. That's next on the House of L podcast. Okay, James, let's talk Blackhawks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What happened last week? <laughs> oh, Lawrence, where do we possibly start with this? I... I think that last week, if you're looking at it from a big picture perspective, last week was the chickens coming home to roost for a lot of moves that the Blackhawks have made over the years. And I think that you can point in any number of directions. You can point at the fact that they've traded virtually all of their first round picks for the last decade. I think the most recent first round pick that is still on the Blackhawks roster or under their control is Nicholas Bodan in 2018, right? Like that is absolutely wild they've traded all of those first round picks your Philip Deneau's your Tabo Teravainen's your Nick Schmaltz's your Ryan Hartman's even now your Kirby Docs that even that happened this week so there were those types of moves and then there were the signings there was the 
extension for Brent Seabrook that was eight years when it was so apparent he was not going to be able to play out that entire deal. There was what I think ultimately was the panicked move by Stan Bowman to not only give up a King's ransom and another first round pick, and then a bunch of cash to sign Seth Jones. And this is not a knock on Seth Jones. It's a knock on the fact that they now have an eight-year contract at nine and a half million dollars a season for a team that basically has no other NHL quality defenseman in its pipeline at the moment. They're currently working on that, of course. There's guys who might end up coming up and making an impact. But the reality is the Blackhawks were not in a position that they were going to be able to take a moonshot and try to qualify for the Stanley Cup playoffs and maybe compete for a cup last season. And yet that's exactly how the front office approached it. And they gave out that deal. They made all sorts of trades, lost all sorts of assets, both financially and prospect wise. And now Kyle Davidson is in this unenviable position where he has to clean that up. And I know I, I talked extensively about the Alex to trade in a lot of different ways. I completely acknowledge that that trade they didn't get enough for him. They needed at least two first round picks or a first round pick and a grade A prospect. And they were not able to do that, but the trade still had to happen. The moves that they made with Kirby doc, that still needed to happen. They needed to get as many bites at the apple as they could possibly get in the draft. And what you saw Kyle Davidson do is he made the moves that he needed to make. So it was a lot of chickens coming home to roost at the same time. And it was a lot of moves that are going to end up being unpopular and I hate to break this to Blackhawk fans. It's just the beginning. There's going to be a lot more unpopular moves coming and it all needs to happen. And what we need to do right now is to wait out to see how it's going to shape the franchise moving forward and to see whether Luke Richardson and Kyle Davidson can kind of get this thing right in the next three to four seasons. If you're Seth Jones, what are you thinking right now? I mean, I'm thinking that I'm in a good position where I still could potentially be in the prime of my career when the Blackhawks potentially become good again, right? He's going to be, I think if four years into his deal, he's either going to be 31 or 32 years old. I, I think that the way I would try to approach it, if I were him is I would say, look, I signed on with this assumption that I was going to be trying to compete for a playoff berth or maybe try to get through a few rounds in my first season. That obviously did not happen. Everybody got fired. Everybody got dumped. But the way I would look at it, if I were him, is that you still do have an opportunity to potentially help to expedite this process and to mentor some younger players. And I know that that's not the thing you want to be doing when you're 28, 29, 30 years old. But if anybody within the organization can kind of look at this in a positive light, I think it might be him just based on the fact that I still think he'll be young enough to make a really strong, positive impact on a, uh, the next good Blackhawks team. And I would really be trying to cling to that these next couple of years. And notice I did not do a single thing of, oh, I get to collect a nice paycheck that I completely ignored that part of it. I tried to be as positive as I could. No, I mean, it, it is nice for him, but no one wants to be around bad hockey. Mm -mm. You don't want to be around it. I don't want to be around it. And I can we don't imagine. Wanna, we don't even want to watch it, man. <laughs> For sure. Like, like no one wants to do that. So I'm sure that Seth Jones is kind of looking around like, man, like what, what did I sign up for? And, mm -hmm. and he, and he's finding out I'll get to Taze and Kane. I want to go backwards for a second. What did you think of the Kyle Davidson hire? I really didn't think that they, 
I, I couldn't really tell whether or not it was going to be like a mistake, quote unquote, because I think that so often you don't really hear what goes on in these interviews for these NHL GM positions. I think I always had thought that Kyle Davidson, if he were going to be honest with the words is and he was going to say, look, this is my plan. These are the players that I need to trade. If they were going to endorse that mentality then the only thing I really thought needed to be asked was whether or not they were going to allow him to execute that plan. And I think that thus far, he's done exactly what he promised he would do. He said there were going to be no shortcuts in this rebuild. There was none, no evidence of that more apparent than the decision to trade Alex to Brinkett. I think that that move, no matter what you think of the return, that move signifies that this isn't going to be a one to two year process. They're not going to be looking and making a big free agent splash and trying to like kind of short circuit this rebuild. They are very serious about this taking three to four to five years and potentially being a sustainable thing. And I always had thought that as long as Kyle Davidson was going to be allowed to be true to that vision, that I thought that he would be a solid hire for the Blackhawks. And of course, time will tell whether or not those strategies work. But so long as he was allowed to make those calls, I thought that it was perfectly fine that they hired from within. And I I will also say he brought in a lot of different people to help him out in that front office now that I really am intrigued by that I think are going to help him to turn this thing around. He's made some really uh, savvy hires, I think, in that regard. And kind of just taking a look at everything from the top down is really important, and I think he is doing that. Am I wrong that... I know that you weren't going to let this guy be a part of your rebuild, but I kind of like Derek King. Like, I listened to him after games, and I'm like, all right, he gets it. Like, he understands it. He's He knows he's been dealt a bad hand, too. I, I don't, I'm not advocating that they should not have gone in a different direction. I just found him to be a breath of fresh air and, and kind of enjoyable as a coach. I will say they have not ruled out bringing back Derek King in some capacity. And I really do think that he could be an interesting hire as kind of a guy who serves almost as a liaison between what's going on in Rockford and what's going on in Chicago. I don't think he's going to end up being on Luke Richards and staff. And I think that's totally fine. I think that Derek King can have a positive impact on this organization if he ends up deciding to stay within it. And of course, if he wants to go get another job somewhere else, then more power to him. What I would say, Lawrence, is that Derek King, he didn't do anything to cost himself the job. I, I really do not believe that he did. I'm not going to look at the wins and losses. I'm not going to look at the kind of stunted development of a guy like a Kirby Doc, and I'm not going to put that at the feet of Derek King. I think he was put in a really difficult position, a team that was supposed to be competing to win, and then not only had that taken away from them, but also had all of the off-ice issues that they rightfully had mm -hmm. to kind of confront during the season. None of that was Derek King's fault. That All of that that happened in the season was not on him, and I think that if they want to keep him in the organization, that's totally fine. But I also think that with a guy like Luke Richardson, I think that he has – a great track record of working with players. He knows what it's like to be successful in the NHL without being Mr. Flash. He had, I think it was something along the lines of 30 goals in his entire 1400 NHL games that he played. If anybody can relate to a lot of different guys, it is going to be Luke Richardson. He's a guy who lets the creative guys have freedom while having a system that does require you to buy into some things. And I think that he's going to be able to convince guys to do that. And if you don't, I think that that's going to work. If you look at a team like Tampa Bay, 
that got Steven Stamkos and Braden Point and all those guys to buy in on both ends of the ice, I could see a similar mentality taking hold with a guy like Luke Richardson. And I think that he gets instant respect in that locker room. So as much as I don't blame Derek King for what happened, I'm really intrigued to see what Luke Richardson can do culture-wise for the Blackhawks. I think it was a really solid hire. Obviously, with the success that the Blackhawks have had over the last you know, 12 years, it, it on its face, it would seem like it's a super attractive job. But considering what has gone on with this franchise overall in the last 18 months, do you think that they had to do some convincing to get people to take their GM job and their head coaching job? I don't know if there was a lot. I think the idea of being able to instill your own culture and to kind of be the guy who turns thing, things around, I think, is a really powerful selling point. No, it's not going to work on a guy like a Bruce Cassidy, for instance, or it's not going to work on a guy named Barry Trotz. Those guys want to come into a system and they want to be able to win right away, right? They're not in this to rebuild. So I thought automatically those guys weren't going to be interested in this job, no matter how you know, famous the Blackhawks insignia is, all those things. I thought that was all out the window. I really thought that this job was going to end up coming down to the guy who wanted to kind of confront the need to change this culture in, a, in more ways than one in the locker room and otherwise. And, and I still think there was a good crop of candidates that were to be able to potentially do that. And I think you look at what Luke Richardson was able to do as an assistant coach. When you look at the way he handled those types of situations and the way that he handled his demeanor on the bench and the way he structured penalty kills and all those things, it really seems to me that the Blackhawks were looking for a high character coach and they're very serious about trying to turn a lot of different things around. And while you didn't get kind of the higher profile guys, I still think that that job, it carried some heft. It carried some, this is a really good opportunity for a coach looking to make a significant mark. And I think that the Blackhawks ended up going in the Luke Richardson direction because of that, because he was a highly sought after assistant, you know, in league circles and the Blackhawks convinced him that his place to make an impact was here. What do you think of Danny Wirtz and what do Blackhawks fans that you interact with think of him? There's been a lot of talk about Danny Wirtz and there was a kind of an unspoken almost assumption of taking him at face value when he kind of was hemming and hawing about taking on a full-time role with the Blackhawks. It really seemed like he wanted to kind of stick with Wirtz beverage and kind of stay out of the spotlight, so to speak, right? And that's totally understandable. He's not a guy who's had a lot of, you know, hands-on, you know, day-to-day -day stuff with the Blackhawks. He hasn't really been overseeing them. But I think that the more that the Kyle Beach situation, for instance, and the more that this need to rebuild kind of came to the forefront, I think that Danny Wirtz realized that this was a team that this an organization rather that needed a lot of input. It needed a lot of changes. And I think that between him taking the more hands-on role between Rocky Wirtz taking his hands kind of off the wheel of a lot of things and the hiring of people like Jamie Faulkner, I think that, Danny Wirtz has engendered at least a degree of goodwill and of trust from Blackhawks fans. And I know there have been certainly hiccups in that road. We all remember what happened when Rocky Wirtz uh, came to that press conference and kind of went uh, scorched earth on everything. Yeah, I, think I mean, that, that's, that's not Danny's fault, though. No, I mean, it he, absolutely. He tried saw, to step in there. You saw that he did, right. And so there were, there have been those hiccups in the meantime with the Blackhawks. And I think that 
we're definitely still at a point where we still need to see a lot of action. We don't need to see words. We need to see action on a lot of fronts. But I, I get the sense that Danny Wirtz has engendered some trust based on the actions that he's taken, kind of the hands-on approach that he's taken, and more importantly, the people that he's hired to help execute that vision. I get the sense there is some trust there, even though there is still that real taste for change and that real taste for action. Did the Blackhawks fail Kirby Doc in his development, or is this the player that he is? I am going to go ahead and say that they, you know what, I'm going to say it, they failed him. And I'm not going to, I'm not saying that in a way that, oh, well, they've completely torpedoed the career of a guy who was destined for NHL greatness. I think that ultimately they did him several disservices. They did rush him into the NHL, that attitude again, that they needed a guy who could contribute immediately. They were like, we have the number three pick. We have to select a guy that is going to make an immediate impact. Kirby Doc was a very polished player when he came in, in terms of his physical traits, right? He was already a bigger center. There was a lot of thought that he already had an NHL body. And I'll definitely count myself as guilty of believing that and of arguing that when they decided to keep him on. I think that they rushed him along. They did not do his development any favors by doing that. And then I think that they really tried to kind of shoehorn him into this potential heir apparent to Jonathan Taves type role where they wanted him to be the one C on this team and be able to play equally equally well offensively and defensively when the reality of it seems to be that he's going to be that type of guy who's going to be a number two, number three center can kill some penalties, can score when he needs to. I still think there's elements of his offensive game. It is not the Blackhawks' fault that he has had kind of that lack of willingness to shoot the puck at times. He definitely can be too passive. That is not the Blackhawks' fault. That is something he needs to work on in his development. But I also think that the Blackhawks did not do him any services by kind of ignoring the reality on the ground and not allowing him to play the game in the way that he needed to be playing it as he developed. And I want to give... Derek King at least a little bit of credit for at least trying that for getting him out on the penalty kill more often and getting him into positions where he could be most more successful at times and I think that might be part of the reason why Montreal was willing to give up a first round pick and a third round pick for him is because they saw there were those flashes and I think that the Blackhawks at least at the very end Derek King was able to kind of showcase what Kirby Doc had in the tank, so to speak. And so if the question is, did the Blackhawks fail Kirby Doc in his development? I I do think they failed him on several fronts. A lot of times when there's a team that's winning, they're doing what they're doing. And a lot of times they've been ahead of the curve. And then the curve catches up. And in a lot of cases, the curve passes them. The Cubs are a good example of this. They, they were on the forefront of some stuff. They got ahead of people. And then... They were like, oh, well, this is working, so it's just going to keep working. Where do you think the Blackhawks, if you agree with my theory on this, where do you think the Blackhawks fell behind the rest of the NHL? I think the Blackhawks have always been, they've been too willing to cut bait with players for short-term gains. And I think that your Cubs analogy ends up being really good, right? Because giving up Glaber Torres for Araldis Chapman, I don't think there's much of an argument that did help the Cubs win the world series in 2016 at all Chapman pitched so well for that team down the stretch. And that real, that move really did help them. 
The problem that the Cubs ran into is they started trading off assets to try to kind of replicate that magic, right? They traded Jorge Soler to bring in Wade Davis. They traded Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease to bring in Jose Quintana. They traded a lot of good assets for you Darvish and then turned around and traded you Darvish for not much in return. They were too willing to cut bait for short-term gain. And I think the Blackhawks have fallen in to that pattern repeatedly. You saw it with Tavo Teravainen and Brian Bickle getting sent to Carolina for cap relief. You saw Ryan Hartman get traded away. Nick Schmaltz got traded for Dylan Strome. Like on and on down the line, the Blackhawks have been too willing to cut bait with potentially good prospects. And it the results of it has been their farm system has been decimated and they haven't really seen the results of the NHL level. They what have not won a playoff series since 2016. I know they technically beat Edmonton in the bubble, whatever. My, my point is that they have just repeatedly decimated their own farm depth in terms of trying to find these short-term gains. And it's really affected, I think their ability to develop prospects that they've and they've given up early on too many of those guys too. I think that, that chase of short-term gains and that ignorance of the potential future has really cost the Blackhawks dearly in a lot of ways. How tradable are Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves? Patrick Kane, the only issue with Patrick Kane right now is his contract. I think that teams would be lining up to take him on. The problem is with the NHL salary cap having stayed flat for the last several years because of COVID and then gone up by a whole million dollars this off season, that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for the Blackhawks to move in because a lot of the teams that are contenders that would want to get him on board are going to have trouble fitting on $10.5 million in salary. And yes, the Blackhawks could make something work cap-wise. They could take on a bad contract. They could eat some of Patrick Kane's money. But then the Duncan Keith wild card comes in. And yes, I know the Blackhawks are not exactly going to be scraping up against the salary cap ceiling this season, but having a five and a half million dollar hole blown into your salary cap budget for the year, not so great. And so I say Patrick Kane is tradable, but there are challenges that I do think the Blackhawks could address. Jonathan Taves, on the other hand, oh, Poor Jonathan Taves, he of, you know, being super critical of the idea of rebuilding and basically wanting no part of it. I get the sense that Mr. Taves is going to be stuck on the Blackhawks roster to start the season, and he may not even get moved at the deadline. That $10.5 million contract for him, it's it's an albatross. There's no way to put, put it gently. He's not a $10.5 million player. I know he's got the leadership. I know he can win faceoffs and kill penalties. He just doesn't score enough to make it worthwhile for any team that is in contention. So I get the sense he'll be on the team day one, and it might be a struggle to move him at the deadline. I think the real question with him is whether or not there'd be any scenario where he would consider staying with the Blackhawks after this season. And I just, I have to say that I highly doubt it. What's fair for Blackhawks fans to expect or how long should they be like, all right, we're going to wait to see if this works before they should get worried about it. My my stance is going to be very similar to what ended up happening with the, I know going back to the Cubs is kind of the cliched thing because they're the last team that kind of had a successful rebuild. But what I will say is that there are going to be players that you can track the development of and potentially give you an idea of how the team is handling their business in terms of those guys growing. I'm looking at guys 
if Ian Mitchell is still on the Blackhawks next season, for instance, I say keep a really good eye on him. He's going to be a good bellwether. Lucas Reichel is the exact same thing. He's probably not going to have the greatest line mates that you've ever seen, but we saw what happened to him last season in limited minutes. He really didn't do a ton, even when he was playing with Patrick Kane or when he was playing with Alex DeBrincat. Watching the development of players like Lucas Reichel, who look like they're really close to taking that next step, that's going to be your first indication of whether or not this is working. And then if you want to go even deeper than that, watch some college hockey this coming season. Watch guys like Frank Nazar as they come up. Go out to some Chicago Steel games and watch players that are going to be in the USHL. Just kind of start to follow those prospects, start to follow their development. And if those guys are taking noticeable steps forward in their game, allow yourself to feel a little bit of optimism. I'm telling you, the NHL product is going to be very bad this coming season. And it's only going to get worse when they offload guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. But what I will tell you is that there are guys in this system that are worth watching. And if they start to develop well, then those are the guys that should give you hope that this thing is working. So I would say give it you're going to have to give it at least two to three years in terms of the on-ice product at this level. But in the short term, just watch those younger guys. And if they have you know good strides forward in their development, that's what I would hang my hat on, that maybe Kyle Davidson and company know what they're doing. What type of attendance erosion are we looking at? <laughs> um, Jay Zawoski, our, our good friend, uh, my former podcast co-host, used to talk about how he could order a beer from one side of the 300 level to a vendor on the <laughs> other side. That might be the level we're getting to. I remember getting tickets. It was Blackhawks and Bruins in 2008. It was the night they retired Keith Magnuson and Pierre Palat's numbers. I paid a dollar a piece for those tickets, Lawrence. I think that I don't know if we're going to get to quite that level, but it's going to be really close. I think that the UC is going to be half empty on more nights than not this coming season. And so if you want to start getting into Blackhawks hockey on the ground floor, congratulations. You're probably going to have your opportunity. James, I really appreciate you doing this with me and, and understanding exactly what I what it is that I wanted to do with this particular episode of the podcast. Man, you're the goods. You're the absolute good. So I, I thank you for stepping up and allowing me to do a pod where we could really break down all of this stuff that's gone on. Dude, if you had had me on and said, I need you to help me come up with a list of the top five MCU movies, or if you had wanted to argue about the best pizza chains in Chicago, there are so many different things I'd be willing to help you do. The fact that you gave me a platform to talk Blackhawks, please. All gratitude should be going to you, buddy. Thank you so much. Well, I'll, I'll start putting together different opportunities to bring you on the podcast, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll make this offer to you right now. If you want to use House of L as a place to do podcasts about the Blackhawks, you are more than welcome to. We can figure it out. I will definitely have your people talk to my people. That's what I'll say. <laughs> James, be good, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, man. That is James Niveau. I adore talking to him. I, I love his style. I love how, how precise he is when talking about all of this stuff. And I'm glad that he was available to do this. And that that's when I love to talk to my colleagues in the industry when we can really sit down. It's part of the reason I loved House of L. Like I, there was no time limit. You just get into it 
and you could kind of move in and out of different things that you might be interested in as a hockey fan and a Blackhawks fan. So big thanks to him and, and getting it on the ground floor, huh? Aurelio's uh, pizza. That's the sauce. That's the sauce. I'd say maybe I'll invest. We'll see. I, I need to see some things from the Blackhawks organizationally. And I, I wasn't kidding. I do like, I did like Derek King. Like I would, I was one of the few people that would tune into his post-game press conferences. And I was like, I like this guy. Like, he gets it. He gets where all of us are. Like, there was no, there's no bullshit with him. He, he was just like, this is what it is, man. Like, this is what it is. This is where we need to get better. This is how we're going to try and do it. We'll see. We'll see if it will end up working out. Big thanks to James Naveau stopping by. He does a great job as a digital journalist for NBC Chicago. He's been doing that for years and has really does, done a tremendous job. So thanks to him. Thanks to our sponsor, Aurelio's Pizza. It's the sauce. Shout out to Joe Aurelio, my guy. I'm, I'm going to get me one of those. I'm going to get a pie. Maybe get a little bit of dessert. I mean, it's been a rough weekend for your boy. Like, I was out here. I was eating this weekend. So maybe I'll wait until next week, and then I'll go ham over at Aurelio's. But if you're thinking about getting a pizza, you should go right now and get one. Check out the latest episode of Sports Adjacent. It's hysterical. I didn't realize that there was someone older than me with phones, and Jason Leisure is that dude. So go check out the latest episode of Sports Adjacent with Jason and Russ and Tony. Shout out to Homage T-Shirts. Go to Homage T-Shirts. Get yourself one of their cool T-Shirts. You will not regret it. I will talk to you next time. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I'm doing this on the fly now, and I like it this way. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.